broadcasting from the studios of the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network in the home of CrossPolitik here in Moscow, Idaho. This is the Campus Preacher, not podcast, but live stream. And so what we're going to try to do here on Mondays is start to run a live stream. This show is probably a year late. So last March when the Rona hit, they shut me down for two weeks, and that's what it originally was. Everybody was, you know, the two weeks to flatten the curve. And what I did is I went to Hawaii during that time. I thought I'd just lay low in Hawaii for a little bit. And then as I was in Hawaii, they ended up canceling the school semester. Everybody ended up staying home the rest of that semester. And so easy enough, took a little time off, came up to Moscow, began to get situated here and with the plan of returning to campus preaching in the fall. And then lo and behold, the campuses kind of by and large were shut down again throughout the fall. Maybe a, a few campuses here and there were open. And even if they were open, there were not near as many students as uh, normal. And then uh, kind of the same thing happened in the spring. A few more campuses were a little bit more open, uh, uh, actually, in, largely in Texas. But up here in the Northwest, everything was largely closed. So I've only been out about six weeks of campus preaching over the past year. And so we start thinking through what is other mediums that we can you know, kind of get the interaction on that we are having on campus. And so what I do on campus, for those of you who don't know, is I show up Near noon, sometime around noon, I'll show up, try to make sure I got my little, um, all right, just had to make sure my computer's working. Uh, So I'll show up around noon, begin the preach, and I usually start off with something like Psalm chapter 24. And now, the difference between what I'm doing on campus and a live stream is the live stream, you kind of have to get word out, and you kind of hope that people come in, whereas the reality of of what I do on a college campus is I kind of have the element of surprise. I show up on campus around noon, 11 o'clock noon, open up my Bible, and from Psalm 24, I just begin to read. That's, that's normally how I begin. Uh, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. And as, that, as I begin to read that, students start to maybe pop their little earbuds out of their ear, listen, and then I get done reading through Psalm 24, and then I begin to basically preach. And one of my most common beginnings is something everybody asks, how do you begin? Something to the effect of, um, so here we are at the University of Idaho, And here at the University of Idaho, we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Here at the University of Idaho, in one breath, you'll advocate for Charles Darwin, but in your next breath, you'll advocate for equality. And what I'll seek to do is kind of set forth some binaries in their thinking between that which is true and that which is false or something that they hold dearly that contradicts something else that they hold dearly. uh, dearly. And I begin to try to lay that out over the next 10, 15 minutes. And over that time, students just kind of gradually begin to gather. And inevitably, you have the one kid who just wants to say – you can't say that, and he'll yell that out, and then some other people start to chime in. Let me uh, see if I can get YouTube going. I, uh, I've been having MacBook problems for the past few weeks, and uh, they're obviously continuing. Um, and then students begin to gather. And then the rest of the day, literally from noon to 4 or 5, sometimes 6, sometimes 8 o'clock at night, students will gather, and you just basically are kind of doing apologetics and preaching the gospel over the next 4, 5, 6, 8 hours, whatever it is. And so we're a year late uh, getting this live stream going because during that downtime, what I should have been trying to do is build other platforms and mediums whereby when, you know, if we do have the Rona and things are shut down, how can we get into other avenues and do ministry? Uh, even if it's just encouraging the saints, who knows how many sinners will want to tune in and kind of have a discussion in this format. Uh, we're not really over control of that. So the, in many ways, this is a radically different format than what I'm used to. But theoretically, it could very much be the same thing. If we can get YouTube going and people are, uh, chiming in, kind of having back and forth on some questions and stuff like that, uh, we can begin to expound on uh, certain ideas. But all I want to do on this episode is basically, uh, if if you've not listened to my podcast before, kind of give you an idea of who I am and also what we hope to accomplish here. Now, 
I was converted back in 1993, and in part, I was converted uh, by Rush Limbaugh. So back in – when he passed, I did a little podcast tri- tribute to Rush Limbaugh. And when I read his book, The Way Things Ought to Be, it was a real simple thing. He basically just said, God is necessary for morality. And that just flat made sense to me. I was like, yeah, like if, if the universe does not have a personal being backing the universe, um, then – what are my duties and obligations? Because if you think about moral responsibility, you have moral responsibility to persons and to personal things. Um, if this is my laptop, I don't have a responsibility to my laptop. If I choose to break it, you might think it's a stupid move, but you're like, ah, oh, it's his laptop, no big deal. But if it's your laptop, suddenly a crime was committed or something seriously wrong was committed, rather than you just thinking like, oh, that's a stupid move, you're like, wait, he destroyed someone else's property. So we have duties and obligations to persons. We don't have duties and obligations to impersonal forces. So if at bottom of the universe is impersonal forces, then at bottom of the universe is not moral responsibility. However, if what's backing the universe is an absolute personal being, and you need those, those two things involved. You need uh, that which is personal. You also need it absolute because you and I are persons, but then who do I have duties and obligations to? Um, do I have duties to Joe Biden in the same way that I do – uh, people here in Moscow and the church elders and stuff like that. So, so even our duties and responsibilities in all of our personal relationships vary from person to person and perspective to perspective. Whereas if at bottom of the universe is even a finite being who made us say like something like Mormonism, then do you have a duty and obligation to something over that? Now, they could argue that God has delegated or someone else has delegated authority to them. But at the end of the day, you have moral responsibility to uh, persons and as Christians, what we're arguing is God is the absolute person. So anyway, it was Rush Limbaugh and the simplicity of saying we need a personal being backing the universe or if there is no God, there is no morality. That was like, yes, that just flat makes sense. And over the next – it was it was really the year. That was the summer of 92 that I read his book. And then uh, over the next year, uh, just the reality that I was a sinner. At that point, I, I kind of became conservative and I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm basically a moral, decent kid. Uh, but the more I began to think about goodness and pursuing goodness, the more I realized I'm not that good. I'm a sinner. And so I began doing like transcendental meditation, looking at some Islamic literature. And at the same time, I was going to Young Life and reading the Bible. And so over the course of the next from August or uh, what was it, January of 93 to August of 93, I was really wrestling with uh, the nature of truth, the nature of reality, uh, who is God, what is God like. Um, and it was August of 93, First Peter 5, 7, casting anxiety on the Christ because he cares for you. That is actually converted. And so at that point, I go off to college. And I went off to college. Uh, the, the previous year, we would have this thing. I was kind of made for campus preaching, I think, because even in high school, we would have Hot Topic Fridays. Uh, so our, our poor teacher, Miss Pramick, would uh, have us have these hot topics. And it was basically me versus the rest of the class. So I would I started getting this magazine called The Conservative Chronicle, which was basically a conglomeration of uh, conservative articles from around the country kind of consolidated into one newspaper. So every Monday I would get that. I'd read through it and I would highlight. So if there was an abortion, I would index it. And so I'd take all the – I didn't have a – a computer at the time. So I just handwrite notes. What are the key stats and what are the key arguments out of this article? And then I'd file that under abortion, have, file it under taxes, file it under guns, whatever it was, I would read that. And so come Friday and hot topic day, I already had kind of an arsenal of information at my fingertips. And so on Thursday, she announced tomorrow's hot topic is the second amendment. So I would go home and file through 
pull out all my gun stuff and I'd be armed to the teeth, ready to take on the rest of the class. And it, it, it usually devolved, and even kind of like campus, it usually devolved to the people who disagree with me just yelling at me. And you know, we didn't have the Ben Shapiro uh, facts don't care about your feelings, but that was kind of my attitude. I, I wasn't very gracious or kind or something like that. It was more like just go in there and win the debate, win the argument. So I just started to lean in very much winning debates, winning the arguments. And uh, I remember you know, at one point uh, people were crying. <laughs> people were crying in class of life. So anyway, it's a lot. That was a lot like what campus is like in many ways. And so what campus is like, I show up, I read Psalm 24. We begin to expound on various issues. Uh, I don't spend tons of time on abortion. Uh, it's usually morality, usually something to do with sexual ethics. Uh, you always have the frat boy yelling out, what about the gay? And so it's, we have to discuss the gays and uh, everything else. And, uh, and so when I'm on campus, it's largely me versus the rest of the students. And what you realize in very broad terms on a college campus is your average student has no idea what they believe at all. And that includes the Christian on a college campus. So I had – and kind of having the element of surprise and showing up and just starting to preach and then people gather. I also have the element of surprise and the reality that most people don't know why they believe what they believe and at this point, I can almost articulate their questions and their beliefs better than they can just because I've been exposed and there's really nothing new under the sun. Most people's philosophies are built out of uh, TV shows, music, Hollywood, uh, and even just abroad. Even today, I was sitting at a coffee shop and there's uh, people walking by who I, I assume they're on some sort of tour of the town. And they make a comment that um, our, our city's putting in good work to in, get uh, equality and diversity or something like that. And the lady who's being shown the tour was like, oh, that's so good. And you're just like, why is that good? And, and this is tangential, uh, but this is what campus is like. You're always tangential. Equality and diversity don't go well together. If two things are equal, they're not diverse. And if two things are diverse, they're not equal. And in the history of philosophy, that's really kind of the one of the many problems, kind of what they're working at. But as Christians, we need to lean into that strand of their thinking of, do you want diversity or do you want equality? Because if you want diversity, you're not going to get your equality. If you want equality, you got to eradicate your diversity, um, and that's just the, the simple reality. So anyway, I show up to campus, start to preach, students gather, and we begin to interact on whatever the issue is. And inevitably, you have uh, – in Acts chapter 17 is actually kind of a central uh, text to my whole philosophy of ministry and philosophy of why I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> Can I flip it? Go back a little bit. So in going back a little bit, so, so when I was converted and I go off to college, I see a man preaching on a college campus, and I had no philosophy of ministry. I knew nothing of Christianity. I just went to Young Life, sang some tunes, heard something about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. I end up believing that. So I see a guy preaching in the uh, outside of the student union, and I went back to my dorm, and I began to read through the book of Acts. And what I realized is People in Acts are publicly preaching. I began to read about Jesus. Jesus is publicly preaching. I began to read the prophets. They're publicly preaching. Then I started looking at church history. They're publicly preaching. So what I realized is that there's nothing wrong with the public preaching, like what this guy was doing. At the time, I didn't have these categories, but this man was operating on our Pelagian system of thought, open theists. And so the problem was not the methodology, but it was literally, in this context, his message. His message was just wrong. And most of us conflated the methodology with the message, whereas I was convinced that the uh, method – open-air preaching is sound, biblical, good, and everything else. And so seven years later, after first seeing a guy do it, I finally set out to do that. And a big part of that is because of Acts chapter 17, where Paul goes to Athens. He's waiting for his friends, 
And it says that his spirit was provoked within him because the, he saw the city was uh, wholly given over to idolatry. And so when you think of even this month, Pride Month, you go to a city and you see the Pride Parade, and, and it's clear that our cities are wholly given over to idolatry. And so what is Paul's response? Is it uh, just merely to be ticked off and run to the hills? Is it to scream and yell at them and run off or whatever? Uh, well, what Paul does in Acts chapter 17 when he sees that Athens is filled with idols, he begins to reason with the people who are there. It says that he reasoned with the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers, um, and it says that the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would do nothing but hearing and telling the latest ideas. And so that's basically what Paul was doing. He goes into Athens, begins to reason with people. And if you're familiar with uh, Socrates and Plato's Apology for Socrates, basically what Luke is doing here in Acts chapter 17 is presenting Paul as a new Socrates. Paul shows up and he's introducing new gods to their, basically like their divine council. And so much of the judgment that takes place when he goes before the Areopagus deals with the city there would have determined whether or not a god was welcomed. And so when Paul says, oh, this god, this unknown god that you worship, I'm here to make him known. So he's basically saying God's been here the whole time. Then he flips the script and says, oh, you're not going to sit in judgment of God. God's going to sit in judgment of you. And so that's kind of a big ta-da revealed moment. And that's even... We'll, we'll do another show on this. My podcast this week will be about this, was, was our need for the prophetic reveal. And that's one thing that we don't have. But Paul, in this context, has prophetic reveal because they think they're going to sit in judgment of God. And he says, God's going to judge the world in righteousness. He's demonstrated this by raising a man from the dead. So as I read all of that, I became so persuaded of open-air preaching. I began to read about George Whitfield and John Wesley and John Bunyan and the Waldensians. And uh, there was even a book... Um, what was it? Evangelism in the Early Church by a guy named Michael Green. He talked about open-air preaching. So I just became convinced of that methodology, and it's a good thing. But the reality of it is, over the past year, what you need for good open-air preaching is you need people, you need engagement, you need the back and forth. The reality of it is crowds and being masked are not conducive to open-air preaching and back and forth. So what I hope to do in this context is uh, uh, you know, kind of do some open-air preaching into this environment. And by the grace of God, we'll uh, gather some folks around uh, – and be able to, even if you're just a Christian, you have questions about apologetics. How do you answer this question? How do you answer that question? Kind of use this format and this medium uh, as a means to kind of continue strands of open-air preaching, even though it's uh, in many ways obviously radically different. So that's what we hope to accomplish here over the next weeks, months, and years to come, Lord willing, while I'm hanging out in Moscow. Um, but yeah, so if you, you know, that's kind of what I'm thinking about, what we hope to accomplish. And so if you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations. You can reach out to me here on uh, the YouTube, uh, which is the CrossPolitik YouTube page. You can join in the live stream. If you ask a question, I'll seek to get to it. You can also reach me, Keith, at CampusPreacher.com. You can also find me on CampusPreacher on Twitter, or not Twitter. Camp, I'm Campus Evangel on Twitter, but I'm Campus Preacher on Instagram, and then Keith Darrell on Facebook. So that's this first ever live stream.